Alright, hi, hey, hi, hey everyone. I promise I'm going to talk for long. I'm John. Nice to meet you all. Um, today we're doing just like a once-off message before we get stuck into our new series. Um, and I wanted to kind of dive into originally the creation story, but then it just turned out on this huge tangent that kind of fits in with what I wanted to at the start. So I titled it... Um, Preconceptions and partnership. If I sound a little bit sick, I am a little bit sick. It's not COVID, I promise. It's some random respiratory tract virus. Stay away from me. Um, so, let's see my notes. So, I started off as a discussion. I started it off as a discussion. And then, halfway through, I was just cringing at myself because I was like, I know what's going to happen. I'm going to pose those questions and no one's going to answer. I'm going to sit there. I'm going to look super awkward. So, I decided that I'm not going to look awkward today. So if you think I look awkward, stop it. <laughs> I'm not awkward. Um, and I think we'll just do small groups at the end. So I, I think that's probably better. Okay, so let's get into it. What is an origin story? Origin story. That's kind of the word that I was floating with at the start of um, preparing the message. Because I, I kind of want to talk about Genesis. So what is an origin story? What comes to mind? Like, for me, or I don't know about you guys, maybe Daniel. Like, origin story of, like, characters in books, in shows, comic book characters is probably like the most poignant one to me. Um, but like people as well, like pe- people's circumstances, the way they're brought up. Um, and it's important. Like how a character comes to be and like the experiences and the challenges that they, they go through is a really important part of who they are. It really shapes them. Um, and, and I'm not saying anything too controversial here. I hope so. Um, because ultimately you are a product of your experiences, like growing up, even now, your decisions, your experiences, your lessons, all the interactions that you've had uh, over your lifetime, the hardships, the highs, the discipline, the triumphs, uh, it shapes you. And I don't mean to say it defines you. It's definitely not the case. Don't hear me wrong. Um, it's not your source of identity. We talked about this two weeks ago with Dave with um, identity and somebody helped me. I forgot the other temptation. Um, yeah, it's not your source of identity. It doesn't define you. What happened to you growing up? It doesn't define you, but it does shape you. So, you know, things like previous success in high school. People say you picked in high school. You picked in this hardships growing up. Um, none of this defines you. It's not who you are. Uh, we talked about identity, that your identity is founded in God who places infinite value on you. But these experiences and scenarios shape you. Something that came to mind was The Joker. The Joker came out, I think it was mid-2019. And I thought it was an incredible film. Like Because I thought The Joker was this crazy guy. And he is crazy, don't get me wrong. He is, he is a little bit crazy. But you see, you see him go through real things. Like, and, and the sad part is it's like, it's like he's a product of the, the outcast and the like contempt of society. He's this social outcast and like what he experiences is integral to his spiral into like insanity. He's not like just some random guy who rocked up. You know what? Today I'm going to be crazy. <laughs> That's actually pretty crazy if, <laughs> if he did do that. Um, but no, you see, you see how his experience is shaping. Uh, so origin story. So how, how someone or something comes to exist is very important. Okay, enough about the Joker. Let's talk about creation. Uh, creation is this beautiful, intentional, thoughtfully crafted manifestation of the order and majesty of God. Um, But I don't want to just talk about like Genesis 1 creation, biblical creation. There are multiple creation stories out there. 
And I think you can get a lot of insight in how the biblical creation story kind of contrasts with that that was common uh, at the time, maybe uh, in like for early Jewish literature. Um, and I think one of the main things I wanted to get across as I kind of went on a tangent preparing this message was that um, I want to challenge a few ideas or biases that we might have when we come to read the Bible. Um, when we, in essence, open the Bible and we don't give it enough respect to understand its message. And how do you approach and begin to understand the message of the Bible in general? And that's a very loaded question. And the answer is with prayer and revelation through the work of the Holy Spirit. But like also through being diligent in your own study to study the text in light of other parts of the Bible, uh, in the context of the passage, understanding what's going on in the life of the author, why are they writing this, who are they writing to, uh, see, see Paul, King David, all these different circumstances shape the message and the narrative and the intention of, of that specific scripture. And I think we plan on having a proper in-depth like how to read the Bible sometime in the future, God willing. And this is a very sort of like basic surface level thing that I kind of wanted to share um, to help you on your journey of studying the Bible. But there are heaps of much, much, much better, more intelligent people to listen to that I can refer you to if you want to have a chat after. Um, but anyway, for me personally, I can be guilty of engaging with um, or like forgetting to truly engage with texts when I read them. Like it's easy to kind of whip out your ESV study Bible or your, or your phone and you, and you read, and you're like, yep, cool, nice, that's my chapter for the day. Like, that's fine. Like, it, it's easy to do that. I do it too often, far too often. I'm guilty of that. Um, particularly with the Old Testament, when I, when I don't really want to engage with the text, sometimes I gloss over things that should really have me going like, whoa, like, is this me, how I act, like, in the story? Is, is um, whoa, the way God really responds here shows me this aspect of his character and so on and so forth. And so the question that I asked myself was, why, like how or why don't we engage with the Bible sometimes? For me, I think sometimes it's tiring. I think it can be tiring. Um, truly, it's tiring. You can spend hours digging and searching through commentaries, uh, trying to find all these nuances just to get a few points across in my own mind sometimes. I, I'm like, I find myself just endlessly reading uh, and it's exhausting. And that in and of itself can be a barrier to approaching the Bible. You feel like the, the more you learn, the more you don't know. And so you keep diving on and in into what feels like an endless chase. And sure, it can feel that way. Uh, but I think, I think it comes down to having the wrong mindset, like, like you're studying a textbook or something like that. Um, and maybe you've heard this before. One of the Jewish rabbis described the Bible as like this diamond that you turn and each time there's this new facet that you explore in the scriptures. So... My encouragement and caution here is that it's more, it's way, way, way more than a theological like logbook for you to memorize. Um, it's the true and inspired word of God that helps you journey in this life. Um, it's useful for teaching. It reveals things about yourself. It reveals things about God. Uh, and in turn, it impacts upon how you view him and respond to that truth, etc., etc. So having your back in the mind, this is... This is kind of like a side point. Have in the back of your mind why you personally don't engage. Is it a, yep, I can't be bothered? Is it, I don't feel good enough? That's something that should be addressed. 
is it it's a bit too intense for me or like it's not really approachable for me because um, these are flags that you should pay attention to do you prefer to only read certain parts of the bible um I know people that are like, yeah, I'm all for the Gospels and Romans. Like, yeah, God redeem me. Neither height nor depth nor anything else will separate me from the love of God. Yeah, that's great. But like the angry God, the super moody God in the Old Testament. I'm not a fan. Don't worry about that. I'm just going to stick to the Gospel. And there are a lot of people like that. And I hope that's not you because it cheapens the message and the narrative of the Bible. Okay, enough of that tangent. Back to my first tangent. How do we not give the Bible enough respect? I said sometimes we don't respect the Bible. So how can you sometimes not give the Bible enough respect? And this is probably the main idea I had when I was writing this message. Um, I was going to ask for thoughts, but then I'd, I'd be embarrassed again. Does anyone want to share why I think it might be you could easily not respect the Bible when you open it? Good thoughts, everyone. Great. If you're listening to this online, everyone just had incredible thoughts. Um, the highway, in my view, this is really important. The highway to not respecting the Bible is to come with assumptions. It's absolutely to come with assumptions to the text. It's to bring your assumptions, it's to bring your own things, and you insert them into the text. It, le- it will lead you astray, and it shows no respect or no regard for the text itself. And I tried to think of a non-biblical example when I was writing, and it's kind of like reading Shakespeare... And thinking like, yo, I can't believe that guy is biting his thumb at someone. He must be like super nervous or stressed or something like that. Like taking like something that's very nowadays common, like someone like biting, but like back then that's like super offensive and egregious. Like it's that sort of, it's that sort of mentality. Like how, how proud of you to assume and to insert your own sort of idea of things and really just miss the entire point of the text. Respect the text. Understand the writing in light of its audience, author, and context. Now, this, I realize I'm speaking a bit fast. I'm, I'm, we'll try to get through it and get to the, to the discussion. So, this is not an in-depth history of the Bible or a complex understanding of its unification and existence. For that, go see Dave's uh, first ever message on the podcast or like any of the other resources out there. Um, and I'll summarize a bit about the beauty of the Bible in the last few bits of this short message. Um, But what is the Bible? God-inspired, divine word, 100%, 1,000%. What is it also? It's a collection. It's a unified collection of narrative, songs, poems, letters, and the like. And they all tell a succinct, collective story about the failure of humanity, its need for redemption, and the new kingdom that comes with King Jesus. Is everybody on board with that? Nice. My heresy check is not beefing. Everyone's okay. I haven't been kicked off the the platform or whatever. No VAR to double check that. Uh, If you have any theological complaints, happy to chat after. That's fine. Just don't corner me in the church car park. So these are written texts uh, and not forgetting also that there's a very strong emphasis on oral tradition in Jewish culture as well. Something to keep in mind. And they're written by people. Written by people. We'll touch on this in a bit. Uh, at specific times, in specific historical contexts, to specific people at times. Sometimes it's two specific people groups. Think of Paul's letters. And again, another caveat, because I'm not saying in any way that the Bible is exclusively an ancient text. That's the wrong idea. If you're getting that idea, I'm sorry, poorly explained, or you've just, you've just jumped to your own assumptions. Don't do that. Um, 
it's not some sort of ancient text. It's not limited in its current application to our lives, our modern day lives as modern readers. No, certainly not. Don't get that idea. The Bible is alive. It's the inspired word of God and it's eternally relevant. Uh, but what I am saying is that through actively seeking to read the text through the lens of the author, you can actually truly glean more beauty from that diamond, more wisdom, more understanding of the text, which will allow you, or when you allow them to speak for themselves, and not come to the text with your own 21st century assumptions, which is easy to do. It's very easy to do. Um, and I have a comment here saying, how proud and puffed up to insert yourself and seek to twist the word of God to suit yourself and your agenda. It's very common. You'll see many, many people, sometimes even preachers, very, very sad. They kind of just like insert modern day thinking or like try and twist Paul to be like, yeah, no, he's actually trying to say like, no, just let Paul say what Paul said. Like truly respect the text enough to see why he wrote it. Who's he writing it to? What's the context? Is he responding to something? Then you'll, then you'll be able to understand more and more. It's truly the beauty of the text rather than kind of being like, oh, he said this thing or he said that thing. Um, and I actually want to do a live demo right now to illustrate this point. And I got this idea from Tim Mackey's Exploring My Strange Bible series where he talks about Paul's letters. So bear with me here. I have written here in front of me a short message for my brother Joseph whom is not currently in the room, which is good. But that's okay. You have discovered, you, everyone here listening and online, you have discovered the scrunched up letter on the side of the road on your way to Chadston Shopping Centre. You just picked it up. It was on the floor. You just picked it up. And it reads as this, okay? This is the, the little scrunched up piece of paper that you just picked up. New smash release. Pretty 850. Ask Joe Risk. It's better to walk than to drive. That's, that's the message, okay? You picked it up, you're like, oh. Now, it's a very hyper-specific message. Maybe you understand a few parts, that's fine. You can write this with your own friends. That's all okay. And it has one specific purpose. Maybe you know what's going on here. Sure. The sole purpose of that message is to say, hey, Joe, the new Smash character came out. He's pretty overpowered. Just walk over, no need to drive, with the subtext that we can drive him back. Pretty standard, pretty straightforward. Very silly example, I know, but I think it illustrates a very basic point. The message makes sense in light of who wrote it, the context they wrote it in, who they wrote it to, why they wrote it, and any other potential written material that you can compare it to. Very, very basic, but it's crazy because this is what people do to the Bible. Ready? I'll give you a few examples. If you pick the letter up on the way to Chadston, and you assume that you know what's going on, you're like, oh my gosh, it's better to walk than to drive. Driving is cancelled, guys. Sorry, I think I'm dying. <laughs> <laughs> Driving is cancelled. Christians, Christians should walk everywhere. This is the proof. This is the proof. The Bible is all about the green and going anti-industry and climate change is going to rule the world. You have to walk everywhere, guys. You see this, the, that pastor, he drives a car. Anti-cancel him. People do this. Uh, you think I'm being crazy? I'm not crazy. This is what people do to the Bible. What else do I have here? Here's a worse take. This is absolutely worse. I don't know. This is what happens in my mind at 11 p.m. Um, here's a worse take. New smash, 8.50. Better walk, to, better walk than to drive. OMG, this is a planned smash and entry at 8.50 p.m. with the plan to get away on foot. They're not going to have a getaway car. You see how it's just crazy? 
It can lead you down a rabbit hole that serves no purpose. People do this to the Bible. They just yoink and they put themselves and they assume this and they assume that. And it's not right. It's not. And you guys probably know this. And I'm not saying anything new. I'm not planning to be or attempting to be anyone intelligent. It's very common practice. So apologies for that example. Uh, but the basic point is you need to respect the text enough to dig into its true context. And this is pretty important throughout the Bible. And I think it's, pretty, uh, it's, it's particularly apparent in Paul's letters. So obviously you've got to do this throughout the whole Bible. But it's, it's actually easier to do it in Paul's letters. Because he helps you. The guy really helps you. And you can quickly see... Um, oh yeah, Paul's letters is probably where you can quickly see the need to understand what is going on. If you literally, literally just take one minute to see what is going on in the letter as a whole you have a pretty good idea of what Paul is saying. And, and honestly, if you want to go even further, you can cross-reference to what he said before and this and... Like, allow him to speak for himself. Don't just take what he said and put what you want him to say in there. No, he said it to people, to this, and it's still relevant to today, but see the principle that he's speaking on rather than trying to, like, take this word and attach it to that and then you formulate your own thing. Um, let me give you a very clear example. Uh, Sometimes Paul is so kind that he specifically tells you what is going on. In fact, he's actually not even telling you. He's telling the letter to whom it's addressed to, and you're happening to peer into his mail. Um, Literally, you can open up, and I have it here. Let's open to Galatians 1 verse 6. Actually, I'll just read it here. If you just pay attention for six verses, I realize I feel like I'm attacking you guys and getting a bit worked up, because I think this is a really interesting topic. Apologies for that. Um, Six verses in, straight away, you get the reason for his tone and the urgency in this letter. This is what he says, just six verses in. I am, I hope this is his tone. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. Bam. Galatians, stop that. What are you guys doing? Straight away, you know what is going on. That there are people preaching to the, the churches of Galatia this false doctrine, which is completely other to, to, to that which Paul came and gave them. So in short, as you see in the book, there are these legalistic Jews, and they're insisting that Christians are required to keep the Mosaic law. This is that other gospel. And you see in the letter that they're insisting on circumcision, and you need to be circumcised uh, as a Gentile to be saved. Paul hears this and he's like, what? What is going on? This is crazy. So he writes a letter. And he says, so quickly, you're turning away from the gospel that I gave to you, um, which is about Christ and Christ crucified, and you're listening to like all these random people. What's that about? And there are numerous examples of this, guys. And I think uh, this is clearest in Paul's letters. I, I find Paul's letters to be very clear because you can kind of you can kind of be familiar with that writing style. Like he's writing to a church. It, it can be more hard with like, Jewish literature and history and things in that and narrative. Um, and they lend themselves, Paul's letters, lend themselves to more digging in other parts of the Bible. Uh, and it's approach, Paul's letters are approachable because they're letters. And he's often writing in response to issues in the church, as we see here, uh, or to clarify things. And so when you have this in your mind, the writing begins to come together as a complete written piece. That's an important point that I wrote there. 
like you don't just take what you want and then you form your own chapter saying Jonathan 1 verse 1 and you, and you take in a few words here. No, like it's a whole letter and see his tone and what he's talking about and how he talks about this. And, and also, like I said, his other workings, like is the principle true throughout? Is he talking to a specific people group? What's, what's he, like, what is he really trying to get at rather than just taking a few of his words? Like, for example, I haven't even written this here where he talks about, like, I can do all this or I can do all things through Christ. What's he saying? Like, what's he actually saying? He's like, uh, from the top of my head, correct me if I'm wrong, I think he's talking about how, like, he hasn't, like, um, exercised his right for, to take from the church or to be supported. And he's content in all situations. Like, I'm fine in this and that. And I can do all of this contentment. I can be this content through Christ who strengthens me. People will take that and be like, Yes, pray for this. And like, yes, do the 42K marathon, even though you're someone like me who can't do like three kilometers or more than that. Um, anyway. So, yeah, the writing begins to come together as a complete written piece. Not just the verses that you can yoink and do whatever you want with them. One more thing I want to say again, please, because I feel like it can easily be misunderstood here. I am not saying that this means Paul's writing is limited in space and time. Not saying that. But rather, it should be read and applied with the understanding of why he wrote what he did, who he wrote it to, and what this means for us today. I think that's a pretty fair conclusion that we can arrive to together. Okay. Is everybody okay? Have I offended anyone? Hopefully not. If at least one person is on board, I'll be happy. So let's talk about creation. So... I was just writing, and then I kind of went on that whole tangent. I won't talk for much longer, but I just want to offer an interesting perspective that I heard in a Bible Project podcast. Sorry if I keep plugging them. Tim Mackey, if you're, if you're listening to this, please respond to my email. Um, okay, so Genesis 1. What I want to do is highlight how approaching a text with a good understanding of its historical context and approaching the text somewhat diligently can allow you to rotate the diamond of the scripture and glean more knowledge from exploring new facets that were once concealed or masked. So, apologies for that whole side point. We were on creation and origin stories, that's right. So, there were other creation stories out there at the time. There were, there were a lot of creation stories. There's the Babylonian empires and this and the, and insert whatever empire that, I've forgotten all the empires. But particularly the Babylonian empires, one of the, one of the biggest at the time of of, of ancient Israel and, and before them. Um, and so has anyone heard of Enuma Elish? And if you've heard of this, I will personally buy you a soft serve sometime in the future. Okay, fair enough. Good. I don't have that much money. Uh, if you have, well done, you're cracked. I should delete that bit because no one has heard it. Enuma Elish is this Babylonian creation mythology. I'm not trying to advocate for Babylonian creation mythology. Bear with me. It has a number of literary, lit, literary and cultural connections to the creation story in Genesis 1. And it's actually one of the oldest creation stories like ever discovered or read or passed down. So in short, the story is like a, a disaster. It's Sorry if, if you're a Babylonian supporter. Uh, it's a great clash between all these various gods of the Babylonian pantheon and the two main characters, Marduk and Tiamat, are like fighting each other and they're just trying to destroy the rest of the gods and a few of the younger gods are trying to challenge her and then this i have it all here but i still don't know what's going on this marduk offers to destroy tiamat to be the highest god blah 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 blah, blah. i'm just going to skip 
And then one of the gods kills the other god, splits the body in two, and then makes one half the sky, one half the earth, makes humans from his own flesh and bone, and thus the universe is created. Crazy, right? But actually, like, pretty commonplace. Like, it was pretty well known at the time, like the historical context of uh, early Israel, people in that time. It was a well-known story. There are a lot of creation stories out, all violent, crazy creation stories. And it seems very random. Why bring this up? It's actually a very minor point, but I, I wanted to illustrate it as, like, towards the reading the Bible with a bit of more of a lens. Why bring it up? Because actually, I think it brings more beauty, more beauty to the biblical creation story. And because like early Jewish audiences would have been quite familiar with this story, with Babylonian literature. Uh, and similar, it's very sim- Don't think it's too abstract. It's very similar to how like, I think you, you, you have some sort of an idea of like, Odin and Thor and Hades, like even a little bit, sometimes more, some people are more into it. Obviously, Marvel's like pumped up a few of them and like people have a better idea. So they're fairly well known, similar to like Greek mythology, but although that came much later. So cultural and historical context, pretty important. And this is, like I said, not the only violent creation story. There's a, there's a fair few of them. This is just the main one. And essentially, same, same. The gods are battling it out. Somebody beats someone else. And I sound like a sound like an old like parent when they watch like they're trying to disrespect like boxing or something like yeah it's so primitive they just punch each other anyway I just I just caught myself thinking that um, some violent fight and then the world is born so what we can see and understand like with with some sort of a historical context here I don't think this is like a necessary reading of anything but it does add a bit more beauty uh, is how the God of Israel illustrates his attributes uh, when you contrast and parallel this to other creation stories at the time. It's an even more beautiful story. It's a beautiful, intentional masterpiece, like we said at the start, that God speaks into being using his own breath. And it highlights so many things. Like, we, we can go into it, we're not going to go into it today, but it highlights the dignity of his creation, that man and woman are inspired by the very breath of Yahweh. And it's a very stark contrast very, very stark contrast from uh, the violence and bloodshed of, of all these popular mythologies at the time. And it illustrates God's intentionality and divine authority. Okay, cool. One more thing. Oh, one more side point that, that I think illustrates this whole preconception thing uh, before we finish up uh, in Genesis is remember, Genesis, written, ancient Hebrew author, writing to ancient Jewish audience. Again, eternal book. Please don't misunderstand me. Eternally relevant. Um, But for instance, when the author writes something like the heavens and the earth, in my mind, I I am really bad with this. And I just assume. I assume too much. Like, I assume what they're saying is God created, like, they're writing God created this this globe that's spinning at however so many degrees and, like, they pinpoint Antarctica and this and, like, kind of my picture when I see heaven and earth. But, like, in reality, it's kind of like God created, like, what's up there and, like, what's down here? Like, what's tangible before us? And I think that's such a minor point. But it illustrates to me that I need to be careful of my own biases when I come to the text in terms of... It's like... This is how I likened it to. And I've heard other people liken it differently. It's like going to Japan, big ups if you've been to Japan, and just expecting everyone to speak English. Like, you, how rude of you, particularly in Japan. Don't do that in Japan. You can do that in, like, Europe. People are pretty good at English. In Japan, they don't, sorry, guys, if you're Japanese, 
the English isn't that great. You go there and you're like, hey, could I get two sushi? And they're like, hi. And then like you're trying to converse with them and you just expect, and you just turn this off. What are you doing? You're going to their culture. You're opening their menu and their thing. And then you're going to expect them to do this. You're, you're asserting yourself. You're assuming. It's just ridiculous. It's totally ridiculous. I think that's such a minor point, but it's important to understand from like a, a perspective that you want to be careful that you're not kind of inserting your assumptions and your modern day thinking and ideas into what's already written in like ancient Hebrew texts, particularly in the Old Testament. Minor point, don't get too bogged down in it. Okay, almost finished, literally just a few minutes. The last thing I want to touch on uh, is to set up our upcoming series just really briefly, which we're going to jump into over the next four weeks. And it's about how the creation story in Genesis establishes this dynamic between God and humanity. And it's beautiful because it's, it's literally like it's etched into uh, the workings of the world. And what you see is, is partnership, partnership that unfolds between creator and humanity. And it's beautiful. And it's even from Genesis 1. That's why it's so important. You see it throughout the whole of the Bible, but it's, it's established and etched in Genesis 1. It starts in the garden with Adam and Eve called to work and it continues in our lives today. And our mission is, may not be and, and probably is not tending the garden, but God is still calling us to partner with him and he wants to help us accomplish his true and perfect will. So partnership, partnership is something you see throughout the Bible. Think of whoever you want. Think of Moses is a great example. Moses is probably one of the best examples because you see his, his true calling, like uh, the burning bush, and, and God's kind of like, not enticing him, but like pulling him one step at a time towards like, hey, partner with me. Like, I want to do this. I want to save your people, but I, need, I actually need you. Like, I need you to be on board with me. And you see partnership all throughout the Bible. You see King David, uh, like right up to Jesus himself, which is perhaps, I don't know if that's a controversial statement, but you see like unity and, and, and partnership in that sort of way. But... We're not just talking about the, the text. I'm talking about you guys. I'm talking about you guys, myself included. What, is this, what does this partnership mean for you? We're, we're starting the Covenant series for the next four weeks and we're going to see partnership at the thousandth degree and like how this beautiful unity and God choosing these people and calling them to be his people and asking them to love him and be obedient to him and how he wants, not just because like he wants like love, sure, but like he wants to change humanity. He wants, the, the, it's meant to be a, um, like a, a, a nation of priests that like bring blessing and good news to people around them. Like he wants to use them. He wants to partner with them. So let's talk about us then. God is calling you. Sure, you might not be tending the garden, but he's calling you to partner with him and he wants to accomplish his true and perfect will. So my question to you in finishing, my question to you, sorry that the ending was a bit abrupt, uh, my question to you that I can't answer for you, and I don't think anyone else can, is what is God calling you to partner with him in? I don't know what it is for you. Maybe you know, maybe you don't know. Sure. What has he put on your heart to walk with him in? Is it, for instance, living for Christ more boldly in your workplace? Maybe it is, maybe it's not. Is it something like sticking up for someone in your friendship group? Is it, this is an interesting one that, I've, that recently that came into my mind, is it speaking a harsh truth to a friend that you know will upset them? Like, this, these are, are true ways that God can use you to rebuke and correct and to, and to work in other people's lives, all for his glory. Like, God, God uses people. Sorry to like get, get back into it, but like, 
throughout the whole story of the Bible, like he uses this person and read all the prophets. Like it's it's through people that he calls and entrusts. He gives them the dignity to like do his own will, and he says like, please, like, will will you partner with me to to get this done? Um, and so we bring it back to the here and now. God, creator of the universe, loves you, but not just that, he wants you, and he wants you to show your love for him in obedience by taking his hand and walking in the works and path established before you. We see this throughout all of the history of the Bible with all the heroes of the faith. Um, but he's also beckoning you directly. So will you take his hand? Cool, we'll pray and I, and I have the discussion questions and kind of like post message thing here. Yeah. Cool. Dear God, um, thank you so much that we can spend time with you uh, freely and with you in our midst to dive into your word and, and to discuss what it means to be a follower of you, to be Christians, to be people who love you and are called by you. Uh, God, help us. Help us as we read your text, Lord. Uh, let, it, let it change our minds and our hearts, renew us completely, that the old is gone and the new has come, that you have brought upon us, Lord. Uh, etch your word. Etch your word onto our heart, Lord. There's no number of, of laws that could tell us how to live, Lord, but you, Lord, inspire us through your word, Lord. Speak to us, the true and living word. Um, I pray that we would take up your call, Lord, to love you, to love you through our act of obedience. Lord, which you so desperately want from us. Help us to partner with you and reveal to us what you want from us, Lord. Reveal to us uh, the path forward by your spirit, by your beckoning, by your, by your encouragement, Lord. Help us to know where you want us, Lord, and help us to say yes, Lord, to say yes to partnering with you uh, in obedience and out of love for you. In your name, amen.